Welcome back to 41,000 Feet and Thriving. I'm so excited to be sitting across from my guest today. She just got mentioned in a CNN travel, uh, I don't even know, article. She had a whole article written about her. She's incredible. She came from a yachting background, so you might know from that who she is. Um, so I'm going to welcome Grace Warnick. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. I'm so excited. I've heard so many people say like, oh my gosh, you need to talk to Grace because, well, because it's for a dorky reason and I don't mean to clump you in this category. So I'm sorry if it's offensive, but I am obsessed with below deck. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> Dang it. I'm not original. That's okay. <laughs> I'm but so I'm like fascinated with your background. And also on top of that, I've seen all the stuff that you're doing and how you're transitioning to being a flight attendant. And I just think it's so incredible. And I'm so excited to hear about you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to share my story and kind of how my background in yachting has influenced my uh, transition into private aviation. Yeah, let, let's start there. Like, how did you get into yachting to start? And how did that career go? And are you out of it now or like still dabbling? Still dabbling and I'm still open to it. I'm right now, I'm primarily focused on aviation. really want to get established in the industry. Um, but how I got started into yachting was just a series of spontaneous events. Um, I graduated college with a bachelor's of arts in theater and scenic painting. So my whole, <laughs> my whole life, I grew up um, singing, dancing, acting, performing, visual art, photography, and uh, really honed in on my skills in college uh, in scenic painting. So in addition to helping build and design the sets, my specialty was painting, uh, specifically faux finishes. So making a two-dimensional surface look 3D, replicating wood grain, brick, stone, um, different surfaces like that onto the sets of a, of a theater. Wow, that's insane. And see, I love things like this because I wouldn't have even thought that something like that existed. And then I talk mm -hmm. with someone and you find out this new whole world exists. Yeah. Yeah. How and fun. that was a very niche skill uh, was scenic painting. Uh, but after college, I was looking for adventure, looking for something new, um, wanted to kind of get out of the box. I always had a desire to travel and do something a little different and spontaneously applied for a job on a traditionally rigged sailing vessel. I sent them my theater resume and told them like, listen, I have no experience, but I grew up in Florida. I love the water. Like I have the passion for sailing, even though I've never done it. And, you know, it was just crazy enough that they hired me. Um, when I applied, I applied so quickly. I didn't realize that the boat was in Maine and I was living in Florida where I'm from. Um, so they asked me to come in to do an interview. We had to do the interview on the phone. And I packed up my apartment in three days and drove by myself from Florida to Maine and got on board. Yeah. And that what was supposed to be just a three-month summer job ended up paving the way for my career in yachting and laid the path to become a chef. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. <laughs> you guys can't see my face right now, but I like I... I'm astonished. I am so, this is going to be a really long interview. I can already tell. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. I find that it's so interesting because I hear from yachties, and I've only talked to a few, 
Um, but then all of my vast knowledge of below deck people, their stories seem very similar. <laughs> and then also flight attendants, like I, and I've said this a few times, I think on the podcast where I really think a lot of people stumble is the word that they use into this industry or just like happen to come upon it and then fall in love with it. And I think it's so fascinating that that verbiage is often used with our industry. And I also find that for some reason, people are more willing to give us a chance. And I don't know if it's because like we all have to start somewhere and we just get lucky. But like your story is very similar to mine where I just kind of stumbled into it and I got really lucky and someone hired me and then it just went from there and like started to take off. And so I really love that like ground up story that you just found the right person to take a chance on you. Yeah. And that's how, um, so my first sailing job happened that way from that, um, position, I was a deckhand on a boat and also assisted the chef a little bit. And by that, I mean, I peeled potatoes, I scrubbed pots and pans, nothing like high culinary level. Um, but that introduced me into a little bit more of the professional cooking side, uh, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I worked as a deckhand for three seasons in Maine and in Florida, uh, and then decided to try to transition into the yachting industry. Um, so I wanted to get into yachting because they're um, just better benefits, more opportunity to travel, um, higher level of service, <laughs> <laughs> better pay, better, yeah, there better you go. things like that. <laughs> That's like when people ask, why did you not want to be a commercial flight attendant anymore? Oh, just because I made like 14 grand my first year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, exactly. but really, it's because private aviation's amazing, obviously. <laughs> right. And it comes with, you know, combining the passion with what can sustain a lifestyle, what can, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to um, be able to easily pay your bills, things like that. But um, I had two friends that I just knew through college who were in yachting and reached out to them because at that time there wasn't a lot of information online. Um, so you couldn't just easily do a Google search about how to get into yachting. Um, so thankfully I did have two people that I was able to reach out to and they told me, you know, you need to get your STCW, which is a week long safety training course, mandatory for any yacht crew, um, told me some places to start looking for jobs. So I did my training, um, still did another season on the sailing vessels that I was working on and then got into yachting. And again, it was kind of like a spontaneous, someone took a chance on me. Um, I had three interviews in the same day. Um, I was looking to be either a chef's assistant or a crew cook, something that could get my foot in the door and combine my sailing skills. I'd learned a lot of practical sailing skills while working on deck. Um, but with my interest in cooking as well. And I thought to get my foot in the door, my sailing experience would be very advantageous. Um, but that maybe I could assist a chef or, you know, help prepare meals for crew, something of that nature that kind of as a stepping stone. Um, but someone hired me as their chef right away on a 64 foot sailing yacht. And again, it was, uh, you know, I, Took the interview, the phone call, and three days later, they flew me up to meet the boat. And I distinctly remember I told this person on the phone, I said, I'm not a chef. I don't claim to be a chef. I don't have the skills of a chef, but I love to cook. I have a passion for sailing, and I'm always up for a challenge. And they're like, great, let's do this. <laughs> 
So well, that, uh, that... that's amazing. And also, sailing yachts are known to be a little bit more relaxed, right? They are. Slightly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially the one that I first started on, it was 64 feet. So kind of as the yacht gets bigger, the standards of service increase. And um, with a smaller yacht, it's usually... Um, sometimes a smaller number of people, but they're looking to have more of a laid back vacation, especially on a sailing yacht. They have some interest in sailing in the outdoors um, rather than on a motor yacht where it's the luxury and the comfort of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I started- and again, I'm so, yeah, <laughs> this is just fascinating to me. <laughs> I'm just amazed. Yeah. My first week on the job, uh, the boat was in the Newport charter yacht show And I was entered into the signature cocktail competition last minute, like several hours before the competition started. At that point, I had never had a cocktail, just like just had never had like a formal like mixed cocktail. And uh, I won. Really? Yeah. Grace, you haven't used you haven't used any years or ages yet. Like how old were you here and what year was this? Let's see. So I started sailing in 2015. Summer of 2015, I joined my okay. first yacht in 2017. So the uh, that charter show was in the summer of 2017. Okay. Yeah, I was about 20. And you'd never had a cocktail. No, never did. And I just kind of took experience. The chef on my boat prior was incredible. And he was the kind of chef who he would walk into the galley and be like, I had this crazy dream that I made this dish and that's what I'm going to make for lunch today. And then he would do it and it would be incredible. And actually years later, I had a dream about baking a cake and then, (laughs) and I made the cake that week for a crew member's birthday, but it literally came to me in a dream. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it finally happened. (laughs) Cause that chef, like I admired him so much and just his, style, just out of the box style, he would come back from a farmer's market and be like, I found this cool vegetable from, you know, locally grown that I've never heard of before. So I bought all of it and we're going to use it this week. So I felt like in that competition, when I was just thrown in the deep end, I was like, okay, well, what would he do? (laughs) What would he do in this situation? And just kind of pulled from that. I was just talking to a a friend about this and, um, you know, I was on this really fun trip the last few weeks but it was also very fast paced and I was a full, I was being like the full cook chef on board like and he wanted like a lot of options he was like the nicest guy but he wanted a ton of options which is fine but I went to the farmer's market like and he wanted things locally sourced he always wanted like this fresh artesian bread he wanted to know where it was from like so I was going all over And I really didn't know my full menu or or I would add things because I would like run upon like I ran across like fully in the shell scallops. And I was like, this is a beautiful opportunity. I'm going to make scallops. (laughs) And then I I ran across this Instagram and I'm I'm pretty sure I messaged you and I was like, are you shucking these scallops on board? What's happening? And I was like, okay, well, I need to do that now. And I deveined shrimp and then I cooked fresh oysters and mussels on board on a different trip, but of that same sequence. And it was just so much fun though, because I was just like, it was a similar concept of like, A, being thrown into it. And like me and this friend, we were like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted, but in the best way. And like, I'm being more creative than I've been in like a year and a half or two. 
Um, Mm -hmm. like, and it's so wonderful. Like I've missed this. And she was like, yeah, because we thrive on like that pressure. And that's where we like succeed is when we're pushed to our max or like when we put out of our zone, you know? I love that. Hey, this is really lame, but I'm going to quote Michael Scott from The Office because I love quoting TV shows. But he has this line where he he says, sometimes I start a sentence and I don't know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And that's how I feel when I'm cooking sometimes (laughs) where people are like, oh, like, how do you know when it's done? Or like, how long is it going to be in the oven? And I'm like, when it's done, it's done. I'll figure it out. Or Or not. And that's how you learn. Exactly. I, yeah, there's another joke where people, if I do like roast asparagus or if I do bacon in the oven when I'm on an estate or something like that, um, a lot of times people will ask me for my recipes and I don't have a lot, you know, written down. Um, but they'll say, Oh, how long do you put it in the oven? And it's half a joke, but it's half serious is whenever I remember it's in there. Yeah. (laughs) So true. By the time I remember, that's it. (laughs) There's this like running joke in my family because, you know, I'll cook these like elaborate dinners for us. Like I have taken on that hat now. Like all of my other siblings have kids and I enjoy hosting. So I have done like quite a few now where I'll do these elaborate, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever Father's Day dinners. And um, I will make like seven, eight different courses, right? Totally great. They're done. Almost every time I burn the bread. <laughs> because I leave it in the oven and I totally forget about it. And so now it's a running joke of like, Jen, are you sure you can handle the bread? Jen, are you sure? Like, do you got this? I'm like, probably not. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, I, I so can do everything bro, I have another funny story. The very first boat I ever worked on when I was a deckhand and also assisted the chef, it was a wooden boat built in 1872. And the galley operated off of a wood burning stove. 1872? <laughs> Which crazy. Like, 1872. But like, yeah, it was a national historic landmark. Mm-hmm. And the chef on that boat, she had come from cooking in kitchens in Brooklyn and New York City uh, as her background. So she was very technical, planned everything. Uh, but then adapting to this wood burning stove was incredible because there were no dials that you turned to adjust the temperature. You just had to really know how to stoke the fire, what kind of wood to use if you want um, a hotter heat or maybe like something smokier, what, what type of wood to use. It was incredible. Um, but someone was asking her, um, well, a wood bearing stove, you don't even have a timer. How do you know when your bread is done? And she just looked them straight in the face and she just said, when it's evenly burned on all sides. <laughs> and <that laughs> She had a great sense of humor. It was like a dry sense of humor, but, um, so that reminded me of your bread story. But those two chefs were my very first couple of boats. They played the biggest impact on me because the chef of my first boat was very structured, planned everything down to a T. And my second chef was very spontaneous, would improvise. So I try to pull from both of them now and have some sort of plan or some sort of framework for my menu. But then you have some to be sort willing to adapt. Right, but then I have the knowledge that you know, I have the skill, I have the know-how to be able to improvise and adapt to any last minute changes. Well, that's like when, um, you know, when you do become like a chef on board or even on board at like a yacht, plane, whatever, and you have this beautiful menu planned and you're like, I'm so proud of this. Here you go. And you slip it to them and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what they ordered. And then they go like, actually, I'm really hungry for a pizza. Can you make me one? And you're mm-hmm. like, 
okay, how do I make a pizza now? <laughs> like, what can I pull? And, you know, we have our reserves and then you have all of the stuff that you were going to make and now you have to whip out a pizza or whatever it might be or a grilled cheese or, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I don't really want anything. Can you make me something different? Can you make a curry? Like, you just have to be able to, like, sit there and grin and bear it. Oh, it's bummer with the flight attendant position is you're the also the one, like, taking the news. And so you have to, mm-hmm. like, stay there and smile and be like, yeah, of course I can do that. Let me go tell the chef, a.k.a. myself. Right. <laughs> right. And that's that's another way that I feel my theater background sort of has influenced my job as a chef, whether it's chef on a yacht, on an estate or on a private jet is having the ability to compose myself. You know, it doesn't matter what happened in the galley. If something's spilled, if I don't have an ingredient, if the guests have asked for something that I am, wasn't initially prepared for, but being able to maintain my composure, having the public speaking skills, and then having the ability to adapt and improvise. I feel like my improv comedy classes really paved the way for my professional career. Also like Michael Scott. <laughs> also like Michael Scott. It all yes. comes back around to Michael Scott. Let's be real. Well, and that's another great thing about being a corporate flight attendant is I usually stay at Marriott's and the office is almost always playing. The office and friends. I just switch back and forth. On uh, what is it? Comedy Central, right? Yeah. Or, that's, or that's um, the channel. Nick at Night. And- Nick at Night. Yep. Mm-hmm. One of the two. It's like Friends. Okay, so we go, we digress. (laughs) So you're, how long were you in yachting and working on, did you ever go to like, what do you, what do you call them? Like May yachts or like the bigger yachts? I don't motor yacht, motor boats, motor yachts. So my sailing career spanned about seven years. Um, I'm not officially out of yachting, but again, I'm focusing on aviation currently, um, but not opposed to any you know, yachting jobs. Um, that'll always be, I feel like my first love is sailing the ocean, yachting. Um, totally. But over the course of that seven years, when I was a deckhand, a mate, a chef, worked my way up from the smaller boats where I was playing chef, mate, and stewardess, along with the captain, where wow. it was just a two crew vessel, up wow. to larger boats. Um my sweet spot was around uh, boats around 100 feet, between 100 to 120 feet. So usually they have between um, three to five crew, um, between six to eight guests. Um, so that was kind of my niche. That's what I did the most. Um, but I did have the opportunity to work on several larger vessels. Um, I was a chef on a 135-foot boat. I was part of a larger fleet um, where there were... Um, several boats and an estate in the fleet. Um, so I had the opportunity to work on board a 250 foot mega yacht, uh, which was fantastic. It was amazing. And with that job, I wasn't solely a chef. I was on standby as a sous chef for one of the estate chefs. So kind of standby if you needed help with anything in the galley, but then on the estate, I ran service. So I was the stew that ran the meal services, set the tables, um, ran the food, back and forth, kind of liaison with the chef. I'm on a different estate. I was a bartender. Um, 
Wow. They hired me as a chef and last minute they told me I was already on the boat and they said, Hey, we're going to an Island. They already have three chefs on board. So we don't need another one, but we need a bartender. Is that okay? Can you do that? And I told him, I was like, listen, I have a degree in theater. I can pour liquids into glasses. Let's do it. Like, let's go. <laughs> so that was how I, but like learning those skills on the job and that set me up for, um, a recurring position that I still have today. Um, but even taking those different jobs where it wasn't the job title I was used to, whether it was service to or bartender, I was able to experience hospitality from a different angle and learn from other people. So I was able to learn from the head chefs or the chief stewards, and that affected my service in other aspects. Yeah. And I mean, there's just so much to unpack here. I'm just so blown away with like how you climbed and like a theme that I see that's also in aviation because they really are very similar in their service ways mm -hmm. um, is that you can never say no. It's always yes and or, right. you know, yes, let me go right. get back to your like, let me go get grab that. Like there's never no in our vocabulary, just like when you were asked to be a bartender. Like um, I can't remember who I was talking with recently, but they like someone asked them like how to make a drink or if they could make this one drink. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'll be right back. Closes the galley door and like Googles how to make it. Like, and it just really, thank God for the internet on most planes now. But <laughs> um, uh, it's just like, it's such a quality in aviation is that you really shouldn't say no most of the time unless it's like a safety issue. Like, it is a rule. Like, they get what they want. Mm -hmm. Right. So being yeah. able to adapt to those demands, keeping your professional demeanor yeah. and then working on your pressure. It's all, yeah. all necessary skills for the industries. And again, like, I think that's where people like us thrive is in that like pressure cooker situation. And especially if you don't know if you can pull it off, like 90% of the time I'm looking at my menu and I'm running through how I'm going to make it on board. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I can pull this off. <laughs> how am I going to do it? Like, if he wants this one, what do I do? If he wants this one, okay, maybe I can do that. <laughs> and I'm right. just always like, okay. Mindset, yeah, where um, I take on this mindset where when producing the product is the only option, I just have that assurance that one way or another, I know what the outcome is going to be. And that gives me just this like weird sense of calm. So even though I don't know how I'm going to get from point A to point B, I know I'm going to get there. So then I, I just work through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's the only option. You just have to get there. So true. I like that a lot. I'm going to have to start using that because it might have saved my like lifespan a little bit. Like two years off of my life. It's like, stressing. Um, so Grace, uh, so you were in yachting, you became a chef, you have a little bit of like a shammering, let's say, of like everything in hospitality. Like you did a little bit of everything. What would you say like was your, obviously chefing is your favorite, I would assume. Yeah. 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 That's the common factor between yachts, estates and yeah. jets is cooking, is being a chef. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So other than that, in hospitality aspect, what would you say is like, what did you learn in yachting in like the hospitality aspect of it? Like, what were these like little niches that you learned with these high profile people like working on these yachts? Like, 
what were some of the takeaways hospitality wise? Mm -hmm. So hospitality, um, no matter where you're working, it definitely gave me a sense for cleanliness and organization that I didn't have before. One, upholding food safety standards, no matter where you're cooking. I've cooked outside on a grill by a river. Uh, I've cooked in places with no electricity, um, smaller yachts, huge estate kitchens on a jet. And something that translates everywhere is your food handling skills. So staying clean, staying organized, working ahead, your mise en place, prepping your area as much as you can. Um, those are all practical skills that I learned on the job and that have progressed over my career. Um, one of my culinary school instructors commented on how clean my workstation was when I was land-based for a while in culinary school. And I told her that if I didn't work clean on a boat, there was a high probability that everything was going to end up on the floor. You know, if we hit a wave or if the boat, you know, rocked from one side to another, everything was going to slide off the counter. So it wasn't an option. I had to work clean and organized. And she was very tickled to hear that because she had a restaurant background that never would have occurred to her before. But because I had, you know, I will never forget my chef telling me on my first boat to put away a container of sour cream and I forgot. And we um, tacked from port to starboard. So the boat leaned in a different direction and the sour cream went flying. And I mean, I learned that lesson the hard way, but I never made that mistake again. <laughs> always made sure everything was working, you know, working very clean. Um, the adaptability, people skills, just how you present yourself. And with different clientele, you have to be able to adapt to their preferred style of service. So I could be on a jet and the clients prefer white glove, silver service, a very professional polished demeanor where I'm there to do the job and that's it. And that's fine, but that service would not translate to the cattle ranch that I work on. So <laughs> that one is more laid back and you know down home like style. Um, whereas on a yacht, you would have a different level of service. So just being able to adapt and adapt your skills, I think those are some of the most important things that I've. Learned. I love all of that, but I specifically love the last thing you said about like adapting to your clientele because I have had people ask me in certain like in interviews like what would you say your service is like and that's usually my answer is well it depends on the client like you have to be able to read the client mm -hmm. and adjust from there like some want you to stand there and like chat with them and be more laid back some want you to like pretty much be non-existent and do everything but in complete silence in white glove style like some like just want you to be the chef, open the door, serve them, chef, leave, like don't do anything else in the cabin. Like it's just you have to be so willing to adapt. And that means like white glove service. It means your language, like your your demeanor, like what you're saying, like it changes everything. Like and I think that's one thing in hospitality that and like in aviation and yachting that you really have to read and what makes you so much greater at our job is being able to be like, well, I can do white glove service, but this client, I don't think likes it. So I'm going to gamble and start playing to what they, I think they want using my like intuitive skills that I've built and then see how they react. And 99% of the time they're like, oh, I like her now. Like I have literally gotten jobs because they're like, oh, like you became like really relaxed and 
that was their style or you read the room and you knew that they didn't want like someone in the cabin. So you stayed quiet and only came out when they hit the call button. Like you have to be willing to read the room and that's what will take you to the next level, I think, in our job. It's so important. And what you said about language. So I have a funny example, whereas on on a private jet, if it's white glove service versus when I work on a cattle ranch or when I work in someone's home, like on their estate or in their home on a jet, I may say, you know, good afternoon. May I offer you a beverage, perhaps a refreshment. Whereas on the ranch, I'm like, Hey y'all, can I get anyone a drink? (laughs) Like just made some sweet tea. Do you want something to eat? And it's just adapting to those circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, no, but I feel like I thrive whenever I can say y'all specifically. Same. That's where I, that's really my sweet spot. Same. Like <laughs> I have to like literally like consciously as I go into the cabin, remind myself like say Mr. and Mrs. Smith, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, repeat it back with me, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, instead of going like, hey guys, <laughs> how's it going? Right. <laughs> it takes a real conscious effort yeah. for me. I even, I just recently had a client that I didn't, I hadn't heard their name pronounced yet. And it was a little funky. Mm-hmm. And I had to like, he came on board and I was like, welcome, like so great. And I welcomed him not as badly as that. But then I went straight to the pilot, like turned around before I went back into the cabin. I was like, how the fuck do you say his last name? Like, and they were like, duh, 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 duh. and I was like, ah, I totally would have gotten that wrong. <laughs> it was- I, had a, I had a client say something similar to me. Um, they were guests of a, of a client and a, um, a, an estate I was working for. And I'd introduced myself earlier in the day. Someone forgot. But instead of just asking my name, he said, so remind me, how do you pronounce your name? And I knew exactly what he was doing. But I just said, oh, it's Grace, G-R-A-C-E. And someone at the table called him out. And they were like, you could just ask if you forgot her name. <laughs> but it made us all laugh. He was trying to be very diplomatic. It's like, it's okay. You meet a lot of people, you know. <laughs> My name's Grace. Nice to meet you. That's cute. I love that. Well, anyway, that's a better tactic than my tactic of like, how do you do this? Um, and I wouldn't say like <laughs> most, most of the time I ask before they're on board. <laughs> that was a really bad situation. Right. Whoops. Um, but uh, so, okay. So you did that for seven or eight years. Is that right? Yachting? And are still yeah, kind seven, of in um, Seven years ago, I was solely working on yachts and did a little bit of estate work as well. So I kind of just happened into the estate work where someone from a boat um, asked me to come cook at their house for a few days. And I think my next large estate was when I was the bartender. I was on a boat that was going to a a certain location and ended up being the bartender on, on their estate. And that job led to the cattle ranch out in Wyoming, which led to an estate in Florida and uh, just having those skills, being able to offer skills to, to people where I could work on, on the yacht, I can work in your house on a private jet. Um, when I was working on a cattle ranch, we had um, trips, all inclusive trips. So each week we had different people come in and I met one person there. He was there with his leadership team from work for like a corporate retreat. And 
met him there a few months later. He asked me to come out and cook in his family's home for a couple of holiday events. And because I had met them, now I'm involved with their mental health focused nonprofit. And so I'm able to cook and um, work with people in that capacity. So it's really interesting how just the nuances of the job and having adaptable skills have led into other facets. But that's how I got into aviation as well, because a lot of people coming to the yachts were flying private. A lot of people coming to and from their estates were flying private. So I thought, what if I could get on board those jets? What if I could market myself as someone who can not only you know be your flight attendant and fly you to the location, fly you to your, your home, your vacation, your yacht getaway, but I could also be your chef there and I could fly you back. And, um, but it was two friends. So uh, the Instagram account, Aviation Weekends, Missy and George, they're fantastic. Um, they've become close friends of mine over the years. Um, I say they, they definitely, they very much encouraged me to make the transition. If you ask them, they'll say that they forced me to do it, <laughs> which it was a time we were at brunch and they were like, listen, you need to do your facts training you need to go to training, book it now, and you need to get into aviation. Like you would thrive here. You would, you would be great. You have the skills for it. And so really because of that, because of their positive peer pressure, I did. I booked my training for the next month and here we are. <laughs> That's, and how long ago is that? That was a little over a year ago. So I've been flying for almost a year. Okay. And how was that like going out and getting your first job? How long did it take? Like what happened? Mm -hmm. So I did my initial training um, earlier in the year, but then I spent the entire summer out in Wyoming. And just with my schedule, I knew I really only had the opportunity to do training at that point before the summer. Um, so I started looking for um, jobs in aviation after that summer when I had completed my job on the ranch. Um, I joined the Flightist Mentorship Program, which was huge. And, what's up? It helped me just, yeah, <laughs> shout out to Jamie Gibson, a flightist. The queen. Um, but that helped me take my skills and transfer them into aviation. I had the hospitality skill, but then just learning how to practically apply it in a new situation and learning about different types of planes. Like I can see a yacht and tell you the build of it, like tell you, you know, all about that boat, but I can't do, couldn't do that with jets. So learning the ins and outs of aircraft was, was really big. Um, but because I was in the mentorship program, um, I got put forward for my first flight and, oh, it was so fun. I loved it. I immediately loved it, but I feel like my background working on yachts set me up for success in aviation. Um, if only for the fact that I was used to working in small spaces, I was used to the demands of the job, the last minute changes, but specifically the small spaces. Um, I've never worked in a restaurant, never worked in a cafe or anything like that. And I feel it would have been a different experience for me had I become, you know, a more traditional chef, if you will, <laughs> chef in a restaurant, land-based, um, working in a commercial kitchen, and then going into yachting or going into aviation, it would have been much more of a culture shock rather than I've only ever known cooking on yachts professionally. So I was already used to baking in the oven a size of a microwave or having very limited fridge space and having to figure out how to utilize my space well. 
So that was a huge advantage I felt that I had coming from yachts onto private jets was I was already used to the environment yeah. in a sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like they they are very interchangeable, even though they're vastly different. They're interchangeable in a lot of ways where a lot of, you know, cross pollination, if you will, like it it's very mm-hmm. similar in that aspect. So did you cook on your first flight or did you kind of like, let's get my sea legs for, or I guess not sea legs, keep your bird legs. On my very first flight, um, I was able to shadow the flight attendant that I was going to be covering for. Um, and that was fantastic. I feel like that does not happen very often where you're able to observe someone on board, especially on a part 91 account on a private account. Um, so the very first flight I was with her for the repositioning and then she went home and I did the rest of the trip. So I was able to observe the style of service, kind of what those guests were used to, um, how she presented herself on the plane and then adapt from there. So I wasn't completely going in blind. Um, The other flights that I did by myself, um, I was able to prepare some of the meals ahead of time. One was a breakfast flight. So I made the omelet shells and uh, things of that nature um, in the hangar the day before, had them all prepped and ready to go to then reheat and plate on the plane. Um, but it was a mix of a very simple catering or very simple prep. Um, but since then, I've had clients who um, some clients want catering or want specific dishes from restaurants. So it's not so much the cooking aspect, but it's the how do I communicate to a restaurant chef the parameters of a private jet and what I need or how I have to have things packaged, how every single garnish or component of the salad needs to be separated for ease of plating when you're on board and things like that. So being able to learn those skills really came in handy. Um, I've done some cooking um, since I'm contracting right now. A lot of it is last minute or the management company has kind of a a set structure of what the catering is on board. Uh, So I just adapt, um, adapt to those parameters and then fill in the blanks with my little creative touches. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it's all about is like, not every trip you're gonna have like you know a induction top on board with pans that you can make anything like you're not gonna have all the tools that you need on every trip because you are changing atmospheres that aren't all used to having a chef on board um i think i think more and more people and clients and management companies are getting there where they're like oh, let's put this on board for those that, you know, can use it. Like, let's start gearing towards using only these type of people. But it's definitely, like, still very much so a process where I would say it's ah, like 70-30 or something like that, like, where a, a lot of them don't want to take that risk of having those things on board because they don't know right. who can use them and who can't. And there's a huge safety risk to it, too, like knife skills in the air, like, Right. Yikes. And then there's, you know, the fire aspect of an induction top. I mean, there's fire aspects with oven too. Like there's just so much to go into that. I totally get when people are like, no, 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 no. We want to use a caterer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another skill that whether it's been on yachts, estates, jets that I've learned is communication, uh, communicating my skills and what I'm capable of. So when I worked um, exclusively on yachts, sometimes I would see jobs that would say, um, 
we need someone who has experience cooking kosher or experience um, with a Japanese style of cooking. And I knew that's that wasn't my strongest skill set. Or if people on board would, you know, ask for something specific and you can't say no, it's the, okay, well, I understand you want this. Here's my suggestion or, you know, here's my creative solution to this and try to adapt in that way. But being able to communicate what you're capable of or what you need in order to do your best job is so important. Because I feel like at the start of my career, I was either too nervous or wanted people to think that I could handle everything, handle it all my, by myself. But then I realized, you know, part of working as a team, whether it's with your yacht crew, you have the captain, the deckhands, stews, part of working as the team is reaching out and asking for assistance if you need it or saying, you know, we're going to be underway for six hours and we're going to have a lot of weather. So I'm unable to make X, Y, Z because frying something or using knives would not be safe <laughs> at this time. So these are the options that we can do. Um, but being able to communicate that instead of putting yourself either at risk or in a situation where you're not presenting the best possible option to your clients. Is, yeah, yeah. It's really important. And I think that's smart is like, there are workarounds of the rule. Yes. You know, like you just said, there are workarounds to it that are just reasonable that no matter how much money you have, it's not worth my finger. <laughs> and, but the way I present that can be a win for both of us where it's like, mm, I am so sorry, but you know, like the weather, blah, blah, blah. However, this is what I do have. And let me tell you, it's amazing. Or it's all about your presentation of it and how you approach it with them. And then it sounds like a win on both sides. You know, you can really use that to your advantage almost or make it sound like it's an even better option, you know? Right. Mm. Yeah. So kind of a fun, fun work around an aspect of the job is you can find exceptions to the S rule. Right. There's always a creative solution. And I feel when I was in college and my major was theater with focus on art, so many people are saying, what are you going to do with a theater degree? And now looking back, I wish I could tell them anything I want. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can do anything with that. Yeah. Because having that creative mindset, whether it was artistic on stage, backstage, um, cooking, that creativity, no matter how it it translates no matter what the medium is, whether it's a paintbrush or, you know, plating yeah. a meal, all of that creativity, it just, it combines to, to create the perfect job, but it definitely helps to have the skill and be adaptable as yeah. well. Multifaceted. And while we're talking about creativity and all of this wonderful stuff, not just being a chef on board, but also, you know, all of these different skills that all of us have, and especially you coming from a multitude of backgrounds. Um, let's talk about a fun topic that I enjoy talking about, which is like failures or like things that don't go out <laughs> successfully. <laughs> because I think we often are like, oh my God, it's so glamorous and it's so fun. And oh my God, you got to create these beautiful, wonderful dishes. But on the other side of it, mm -hmm. There are often like these things that you dream up and you're like, this is going to be so good. And then you go to plate it and you just, you don't get it quite right. And you're like, it looks okay, but not the best. Or, you know, mm -hmm. oh, this turned out like good enough, but it's like 
next time I would do this. Like, I feel like there's always like certain things that you can do better or sometimes that just don't work. Like me and Lauren talked about this all the time. Uh, And like sometimes like our clients will be like, this wasn't my favorite. And it's like, like a gut punch. And Carly Klein, (laughs) Carly Klein was on this week's episode. And she even told a story where she was like, I cried for a week after that. Like I could not handle the rejection. But sometimes the rejection and the not even just failures, but like learning from things that didn't work happen. Do you have any of those kind of stories where it's like, I know I have them all the time where I'm like, okay, tweet. Yeah. Well, I can think of two examples right off the bat. Um, One, I was working on an estate and I had the idea. um, I wanted to do kind of more of an upscale version of a brownie Sunday for a dinner party with about 13 people. Um, So instead of, you know, the traditional brownie pan cutting into squares or, you know, triangles or something, I wanted to bake them in a muffin tin. I did not consider the, um, the baking time change for a smaller pan, but then I was also at a higher altitude, um, than what I'm used to cooking at. Um, which not many people would think about like, Right. And the things that I am able to bake in Florida are completely different than the things I bake in Wyoming because of the altitude. And that can translate to a jet as well, um, where the altitude can affect the hydration, um, the baking time, the temperature, all these different things. Um, So just because of those factors, and I was able to make it into a learning experience. But when the brownies came out of the oven, they were way too crispy on the outside. So it gave them kind of a harder shell and then the soft center. And I was under a bit of a time crunch. Um, so I didn't have time to do it again. So I saved them and being the family, we ended up eating them and enjoying them. It was great. But in that moment I had to think, okay, what can I do to adapt? This isn't going to work. So what's the next plan? And thankfully I had, I had cooked for an entirely different group of people the day before. So the people I was cooking dinner for hadn't had the dessert that I had served the day before. So I had had um, pound cake that was left over. And I quickly um, sliced up the pound cake, put it in the oven to toast, and then made a berry compote. And that was the dessert. It was great. My boss came up after and was like, wow, that was amazing. Like, how did you make that? I was like, that was like a five-minute adapt, overcome, and improvise situation. (laughs) (laughs) Some of my favorite things come out of those situations, like, you know, kind of like my story of like, you know, you present these beautiful menus and then they're like, I don't want any of these things. I want Mm -hmm. something else. Uh, I had that a similar thing happen to me on my last trip where I put like I got this beautiful like vegan coconut cream that you could whip. So it was like whipping cream, but vegan. And I was like, and I love that because it adds that like nuttiness to it. And so then I was going to add some shaved coconut into it, whip it, and then do just like berries and gold flakes and all of these just simple dessert because this guy wasn't a huge dessert person. So I was like, this is simple. Maybe he'll like that. He came up after he asked for the dessert as I was hand whipping this coconut whipped cream on, on the jet. And he was like, question is it coconut flavored or is it like coconut milk and I was like oh it's like a coconut milk like see and you know I'm like standing there whipping and he's like do we have regular whipped cream and I was like yeah I I have heavy whipping cream and he's like cool can I have that and I was like sure 
So he leaves and I quickly like dump my like I had just been hand whipping this coconut milk for 10 minutes. I like dump it into the trash and I take my heavy whipping cream and I start to whip it and I'm like and it like it was just a process where I was like okay I had to like adapt and like interchange this. He came back for thirds of that like he just I just added like a little bit of agave and like did the berries and chocolate dipped berries and stuff like Mm-hmm. And he loved it. And it's like sometimes like the original plan isn't always going to work out and you have to be able to just be like, okay, well, here we go. Mine wasn't that big, but. Right. Yeah. And tailoring to the client is so important. So I have another kind of like fail, improvise, you know, overcome situation, but I tailored it specifically to the client. So um, in this circumstance, I was ordering from a restaurant and I had specified, um, at that restaurant that I needed the ingredients for the caprese salad all separate. So the basil separate from the cheese, separate from the tomato. How often it did not do you arrive feel like that this way. happens? Yeah, I was like, how right. often? <laughs> so it did not arrive that way, but it also kind of, you know, got bumped around in transit. So when I opened the, I still have the pictures of the before and the after. <laughs> um, but when I opened it, the basil was soggy the cheese was just a little bit discolored because it had been with the tomato and so i'm thinking i have to get this out in you know five minutes so i'm thinking okay what can i do how can i replate it to make it look more visually appealing than it is now so i ended up slicing the tomatoes a different way i sliced the cheese in a different way and i tore the basil and kind of um <laughs> kind of like hit it in between yeah, i had some edible flowers that i you know used and it looked it looked good. It was a big improvement from what I got to what I plated. When I brought it out to the guests, there were no complaints, but I saw just a ch- slight change in facial feature when they saw it. And immediately I knew that's not what they're used to. That's not how they're used to this salad being presented. And it was okay then. They didn't say anything, but I wanted it to be different for next time. So the next time when they ordered from that place, I went to the restaurant, sat down and ordered that dish. I ordered the salad. So that way I could see how they present it in the restaurant so I could try to recreate it for this guest. And I've learned over the course of years that a lot of times when people travel, um, you know, sometimes you have people who want all the bells and whistles, the caviar, you know, the finest ingredients. And some people, they just want what's familiar and what makes them feel at home or feel grounded. And sometimes when people travel so much, um, you kind of build a habit. What's your consistency? What's your routine on the road that can still make you feel at home when you are elsewhere? So by going to that restaurant, seeing how it was plated and presented, I was able to take that back played it in a similar way that was more familiar to this client. And I felt like that consistency then made a difference in almost in the dining experience because it was more familiar and it was more of the picture that they had in their head of what that salad should look like instead of me taking, you know, taking creative liberties. So overcoming, adapting, but Yeah, making things familiar to clients. And I don't mean to say like fail, like, you know, oh my God, this was terrible. I say fail just as like, yeah, it's a learning experience. Like, I think, Mm -hmm. again, like just a theme that I've talked with people about is like that we talk about all these happy, wonderful like successes. But I think it's really important, especially for like newer people or even 
you know, seasoned people like me, like I like talking about it because I'm like seasoned. I'm still learning. Like I, I have like clumpy mishaps happen. And it's like, I just want people to know that that still happens. Like, are we supposed to be perfect at our jobs? That's the goal. How often is that going to happen? Probably not as often as we like. Um, And that's kind of my take on it is like, you know, why don't we share these so then we can all learn from them and also know that you aren't failing because that's like a huge like impostery syndrome thing that I've dealt with is like, oh my God, I'm not good enough now. Like, like one bad dish. I'm like in my head, like, oh my God, I am a failure. Like I have completely effed up so bad that I'm never going to get a job again. And in reality, you're overthinking something that was so minuscule that someone probably doesn't even remember, you know? And it's like, we're always our own worst critics. 100%. (laughs) I had a client that um, they were European and I was flying them for a while and, you know, I made them breakfast and I didn't think about it until I went to go plate or to like set down their plate. But I made, he wanted like an egg scramble. I made an American egg scramble. And the second I went to go Mm. set it down, I was like, holy shit, he's European. He's going to look at these eggs and think they're overcooked. I should have done them like the Gordon Ramsay way. Like, you know, I should have made them liquidy, like creme fraiche, butter, like barely cooked almost like and I did them the American way where they look yellow and like <laughs> like a little dry to so like the European eye and I was like um and I thought he was gonna like kick me off the trip like I was like oh my god he ate them but you could just tell it's kind of like your um your caprese salad thing where you could just see the look on your face and literally as I was setting it down I was like can I just take this back right now? Like I can make you the right. <laughs> um, he did not kick me off yeah. the trip though. Okay. I'm going to um, make another TV show comparison because it has Please to do, do with your eggs serving American style versus a European style. Sure. And that's something that in culinary school, I've been to two culinary schools. One was a longer program and we spent an entire week on eggs and egg cookery. It's it like awesome. a thing. Um, it is. Yeah. It's a very refined skill and it's, it's so versatile, all the ways that you can cook an egg. But in the show, the first season of Emily in Paris, the French chef, oh, Gabrielle, um, makes an omelet for mm-hmm. Emily. This is a French chef in France and he used a cast iron skillet to make an American style omelet. And that annoyed me to no end. Because he didn't make a French style omelet. It's a completely different style. So a French omelet is a little softer. It's a little runnier. Yeah. And it's um, it's almost yeah. rolled. Whereas the American style, you cook it flat, you flip it over, and then you fold it in half with fillings in the middle. And I just couldn't believe that this French chef in France would make an American style omelet to welcome this. But do you think he was this playing girl to her- who he was trying to, yeah. <laughs> trying like- to introduce to French cuisine? I would have never. Really not that big picked, of a deal. No, but it is fascinating. Like I, I, and I love that show. It is fascinating. Did you know he actually has like a Michelin star chef on his, on the team of that show that like works with him? I didn't. I did not know that. I wonder if they brought him in after the omelet incident. Uh, probably. That's <laughs> why they heard you. I was telling a friend that who loves that show, and they're like, literally nobody in the world would care about that but I now i'm thinking about it 
But now you have me in my head and I'm like creating a story. I'm like, he probably did it because he wanted her to feel at home, obviously. (laughs) No. So I think I mentioned it. So I'm going to segue from. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was was just going to segue from, you know, seeing things on TV and how that translates into social media, what you see on social media, tying it back to our failures and how sometimes we can think that we are the only person that this happens to. If you see a chef with a beautifully plated dish on Instagram, it's hard to know what went into that dish. Um, you know, were they expecting to get certain ingredients at the store and they were out, so they had to get something different? Did they drop half of the ingredients on the galley floor right before plating, so they had to improvise? Did they, you know, burn part of it or overcook this? And I think um, I think it's so important to to talk about and to share those things. And sometimes I'll do like a behind the scenes on Instagram of either the before or after picture or say, this is what I was working with. This yeah. is what I had to adapt it to just to share that story and make it more relatable for other people. Relatable, I think social yeah. media has been so great. Yeah. Relatable. I think it's been so great for, for our industries, especially in, um, in yachting or in aviation where a flight attendant or a yacht chef you're working by yourself for the va- vast majority of the time. Sometimes on larger boats, you'll have a sous chef or a crew cook, but the majority of the time you're working by yourself. So there's no one in there to no one in the galley on a yacht or a jet that you can run ideas by or who can say, Hey, how about we played it like this? Or have you ever tried this style? And I think that has been such a positive aspect of social media over the years where I've been able to meet other chefs, learn from other chefs, see techniques that I wouldn't have thought of, see plating styles that wouldn't have occurred to me or see their personal spin on a dish that I've made before, which then leads me to adapt it to a new way. So I think there can be such a great community online, especially if you're working by yourself where you're, you know, you don't have to be alone. You can reach out to people and see what they're doing and just continually learn and evolve yeah. and grow your skills. I love that. I I have started probably the last two years like um, posting, like I'll post in my stories when I plate or cook something on board sometimes. And I'll post even if I don't like the way the plating turned out. And I'll like make comments of like, next time I would do this. Because I Mm -hmm. think that it's important to share that like, hey, I'm going to put this out here. It's not my best plating. But you know what? Sometimes we have those days where the flavors are on point, but the plating like, I'm not going to lie. When I did those scallops, I plated it again for the picture that I posted on Instagram. Though when I presented it to him, I didn't love it. Like it wasn't bad, but I didn't love how I plated it because I had never plated in the shells before. And it was trickier than I thought it was going to be. Like, you have these beautiful things sometimes. And then they just don't turn out how you kind of, like, pictured it. Um, But then you Mm -hmm. learn from it. And I did. And I was like, okay, next time. And that's what I posted that time was, like, the next time this is what I'm going to do is, like, present them like this. And I learned in that moment, you know. But then a lot of the times I will post those pictures where I'm like, I didn't really like this. Um, (laughs) But someone else maybe teach me how to do this better. Um, And so I do love that aspect of social media and what you were saying about how, you know, we're alone in those moments of plating. Yes. 
But in the pre-moments, you know, what I've started doing is like, I'll bounce menus off of people. Like Lauren and I will have like trips coming up at the same time. And we'll literally FaceTime for three hours, like coming up with both of our menus and like being like, you know, she'll suggest something and then I'll be like, yeah, but don't you think this would flavor better with this? Like those flavor profiles. And she'd be like, oh yeah. And then you come up with things that the other one wouldn't have. You have to make sure you can execute it. Um, But like, it's so nice to have someone to bounce off of. And I so recommend doing that with people. Like Mm -hmm. you come up with these menus then where Lauren and I will be like, we need to frame this. Like, this is gorgeous. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you, sometimes you need that extra voice, like, you know, just like to bounce off of and get new ideas and inspiration. from. Yeah, I love that. That was a big reason why I wanted to go to the culinary programs I went to is so that way I could have the experience of cooking with other people, learn from more experienced chefs, and then work with people who were either at my skill level, just starting out, um, tried to progress in their cooking skills. It was such a huge learning experience from all aspects. I'm so sure it's still one of my goals to go to a culinary school, like condensed or not. I've actually been looking at courses, but it's still a ways off for me. But it's definitely one of those things that I don't think like it, every chef needs. But I do think it helps like refine your skills. It helps hone in like your style. And it also helps you like what you were saying, like clean like keep a clean station, mise en place. Mm-hmm. Like it teaches you these things of that just help enhance you so much that now I'm like, oh, I really want to do this. Like enhance to be able to, you know, just nail things that I haven't before. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yeah, you I definitely recommend school. it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So my first culinary school after my first yacht chef job, this is like going back to the beginning, but after my first yacht chef job, I went to a four week intensive program at the Ashburton Chefs Academy in um, Southern England. So that was a four-week program. I knew other yacht chefs who had been there, and I wanted to have the credentials. I wanted to have the line on my resume that not only have I had the job title, but I had some sort of training. Um, and that made a big impact. And then about a year later, I worked for another year, and I just I wanted more. I wanted to learn more of the foundations of cooking, like go back to basics and build from there. So I did an eight month program at George Brown chef school in Toronto. That was an amazing experience. And um, I still keep in contact with some of my um, classmates, a few of my chef instructors. One, I called in a panic when I was on a boat and I had to butcher a sheep for a Saudi Arabian prince. And um, he was my butcher instructor. So I called him, hadn't spoken to him in a year. And I was like, chef, I need your help. (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) And he he was able to walk me through it. So just even building those relationships, learning the skills there, but then being able to refer back to those skills or use recipes or call my chef instructor on the phone and ask for help. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I definitely have like, I have a few friends that I definitely like phone a friend for if I need help on something. Like if I can't get a sauce right or, you know, don't know how to cook something that one of my clients requested I'll call them before I Google, mm-hmm. you know, like, because yeah, it's just the relationship you have. And I think sometimes that's better than Googling. Uh, almost all the time it's better than Googling. <laughs> and then if yeah, they say, oh, I can't help you, it's bad. <laughs> you have the friend who can be the voice of reason or calm you down. I remember the very first time I ever had to make swordfish. I'd never made it before. I hadn't eaten it before. And... 
oh, this was such a long time ago, but they wanted swordfish, some type of a salad and corn on the cob because it was in the, the summer and, you know, corn in the summer is a staple. So I called another yacht chef friend just in a panic. And I was like, I don't know how to do swordfish. I don't know what to do. And they want corn on the cob and I don't know how to do that. And she was like, okay, stop, take a breath. You know how to make corn on the cob. That is the easiest thing. She's like, don't be worried about that. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you're right. And she's like, okay, so the swordfish, you're just going to make fish. It's going to be great. And it turned out great. And one of the guests said it was the best swordfish they had ever had. I'd never made it before, but calling that friend who, who was like, you need it, you need to cool it. You need to take a deep breath and you can do this. And I was like, oh, you're right. Okay. I can. <laughs> Honestly, I, I have those panic attacks all the time where I'm like, oh my God, can I pull this off? Like, how do I pull this off? Like, why am I doing this to myself? And then you do it and yeah, mm -hmm. you call your friend or you have a moment where, you know, you put in your air, your headphones, I can't speak. Um, and you yep. listen to like a comfort. My thing is like, especially if you're on board, I'll put in like one of my earbuds and I'll listen to like something that I just like can kind of like, it almost puts me in this neutral state where I'm like, okay, just do your thing. Yeah. The music's the same. You're the same. Just do your thing. Like, <laughs> So that's yep. kind of like what oh, I do if I'm in like a high pressure. Yeah. It's, it keeps then, you out like of your head. Before, Exactly. The, what I said before about knowing that the only acceptable outcome is to have this great dish and then just taking the next right step to get there. So just knowing your outcome is going to be great and figuring it out on the way. But I also sometimes I'll, I'll say the mantra to myself. Um, I've done it before. I can do it again. I've done it before and I can do it again right now in this circumstance when it's stressful, when I don't have the tools or the ingredients that I'm used to, I've done it before and I can do it again. And that just, that'll get you through it. I think that's such a beautiful place to start wrapping up is like, I love, I love both of those mantras and I'm going to take them forward and I'm going to text you now every time I <laughs> tell myself, which might be too often. <laughs> but I love that. And I think that that's such a, a pro tip is like, even if you're doing like, even if you're plating like catering, or if you're cooking, reheating, catering, like these are things that apply mm. to both cooks, chefs, or flight attendants, like reheating, catering on board. Like they're all, you, we're all superheroes. We're all doing the same thing. And like, I just mm. think that that's such words of wisdom that I love is like, we'll get there, you know, A to B. Yeah. It'll all be okay. You will still be physically alive at the end. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those things that like yeah. almost feels like. A that, oh, go ahead. Oh, a, a friend told me once that, you know, you've made it through 100% of all of challenging circumstances thus far. So the likelihood of getting through this circumstance is looking pretty good. You are so <laughs> you made full it through 100% like, inspiration. <laughs> uh, like I one have of those a lot quote of inspiring books. people in my life. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, ooh, we should make a flight attendant quote book. Okay, I have thought about this. Sold. I have actually pitched this to, no, you know what? I told a friend of mine that she needs, she has the funkiest little sayings. Um, it's Jamie. I'll be real. She has like the funkiest little things that she'll spit out. And I'm like, where do you come up with these like little phrases and sayings? And I told her recently, I was like, you need to like create like a, 
a flip book because I would buy that because they're so creative and I know exactly what yeah. you mean, even though I've never heard these wor- words like put together before. <laughs> it's great. I love it. So yeah, maybe we'll come up with a flight attendant version. Um, well, Grace, it's been so great having you on and I'm so, I still have so many questions. So we either need to meet up in person finally or have you back on so we have an excuse to talk more because I just, I'm fascinated by your background and by you. Oh, thanks. Well, I had so much fun talking to you. Um, Yes to both. I'd love to meet up with you. And then I just want to say, I'm so happy that you started this podcast because in what can be a solitary job, you know, traveling on the road all the time, um, working in the galley by yourself, being able to listen to other people's stories and other people's experiences is so comforting, but it's also, it's just eye-opening and expanding. I feel like I've learned so much. And I had previously searched on Apple Podcasts for some sort of flight attendant, private jet related podcast to see if there was anything out there. And two weeks later is when you announced your podcast. So I'm I'm so happy that you took the leap and decided to create this. It's such a wonderful platform. And I feel like it really enhances the community of, of the aviation industry. Oh, thank you. I'm having fun with it. And thank you so much for saying that. I'm glad, glad we got you a podcast to listen to. And that's definitely the goal is to bring us all more together and to make us all feel relatable and to share these stories that hopefully inspire and help others learn and grow from what we're learning. So it's just one big community puddle. I love it. All right, Grace. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you soon. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me.